You are listening to John DeYard's Life Spa, your premier source for health news in Ayurveda, where modern science meets ancient wisdom. In this episode, Dr. John talks exercise, fitness, and workouts. Hi, my name is Dr. John Duyard, and I'd like to talk to you about how to enjoy exercise, maybe for the first time ever. You know, 20 years ago, 80% of the population didn't exercise on a regular basis. Today, 80% of the population doesn't exercise on a regular basis. And I really believe because exercise is a stress. People, most people don't like to do it. So what I want to talk to you about is how we can take the work out of the workout. How to enjoy exercise. When you see someone exercising and they're <gasps> huffing and puffing, if you saw a bear in the woods, you would take a similar breath, a upper chest emergency breath. That triggers receptors in the upper lobes of your lungs. That tells your body, life's an emergency, get up a tree, save your life, and produce a host of degenerative stress-fighting hormones that break your body down and make the experience an exhausting one. Now, when you were to, if you were to breathe through your nose, when you breathe through your nose, the nose goes through turbinates, turbines that are engineered to drive the air all the way into the lower lobes of your lungs. In the lower lobes of your lungs, you have about 60% of the blood supply and the majority of the calm nervous system receptors. So when you breathe through your nose, you create a neurological calm. In our study, in my book, Body, Mind, and Sport, we showed that we can produce meditative brain waves during vigorous activity. So imagine running as fast as your legs can carry you, breathing through your nose, producing a meditative calm similar to what you would get while you're in a meditation. So being able to be calm in the midst of the activity is what this is really all about. When I first did the research for my book, I interviewed athletes who experienced the runner's high, the zone. You know, Billie Jean King, who did the forward to my book, said I would transport myself beyond the turmoil of the court to a place of total peace and calm. Roger Bannister, when he broke the four-minute mile, he said that when I did that, I felt like I was running slow. I felt like I was standing still. I felt no pain and no strain, yet he was running faster than any man alive. So here we have these athletes who say, when I'm at my very best, I feel effortless. Yet we're told that if we want to get any benefit from exercise, we must break ourselves down in order to build ourselves up. Yet the elite athletes say, I'm looking for that place where it just flows, where it's absolutely effortless. When you breathe through your nose, you create a neurological calm that tells your body that this experience is not an emergency. It allows you to create a meditative calm that allows you to support higher levels of activity. I like to call it the eye of the hurricane. The bigger the eye, the more powerful the winds. The more calm you can create by breathing through your nose. And you know what? You breathe 26,000 times per day. And most of us breathe like rabbits, little tiny shallow breaths in the upper lobes of our lungs, triggering an emergency response, 26,000 breaths per day. When we use exercise as a tool to force the air into the lower lobes of your lungs, your rib cage, instead of being a cage squeezing your heart and your lungs 26,000 times a day, becomes like 12 levers that massage your heart and your lungs, create a neurological calm, and allow you to handle more stress from a calm place. So next time you go for a walk or a run or an exercise, try breathing deeply in through your nose and deeply out through your nose. Keep your mouth closed and set the rhythm of your breath by the comfortable rhythm 
through your nose. If you have to open up your mouth, you're going into an emergency response. Slow down, reset the nose breathing, and keep trying to build more exertion with your mouth closed, breathing deeply in and out through your nose. My name is Dr. John Duyard. Thanks for listening. Hi, my name is Dr. John Duyard, and I want to share with you today some groundbreaking research comparing mouth and nose breathing exercise. Back in 1993, a year before my Body Mind Sport book came out, we did some research comparing mouth and nasal breathing exercise. We did three studies. The first was a case study where I was the subject. The results were great. We then did a pilot study with three subjects and the results were great. That allowed us to do a final study with five subjects that was published in the International Journal of Neuroscience. The first two studies were never published and I'm posting that unpublished study on my website in this particular newsletter so you can see the results of those first two studies. And in this newsletter, I'm going to summarize the, the results of the first two studies. The third study, I actually have the abstract posted on this particular newsletter so you can read some of the results, but you can get a reprint uh, by actually linking to the International Journal of Neuroscience and that link is actually in the article associated with this video. So, what happened in the first two studies? Some amazing things happened. Number one, and I've talked about this a little bit in Body, Mind, Sport, but I've never actually shared all the results that we found in those studies. We measured uh, some very important things. It was one thing that was interesting was the heart rates with nasal breathing and mouth breathing were about the same. Now, when you breathe through your nose, some researchers say it's 100 times harder to breathe through your nose, so it should be much more difficult to breathe through your nose while exercising, so the heart rate should go up, but it didn't. In fact, they were very, very equal. So that is an indicator that there was some less stress during the workout. We also did what's called perceived exertion, which means we had a scale of one to 10 and the athletes were asked to ask how they felt along the way during the exercise with their mouth closed, doing nasal breathing exercise, and also with their mouth open, doing mouth breathing exercise. And in one of the studies, in the case study, um, the results were the, the, during the maximum load of the uh, nasal breathing exercise, the perceived exertion was a four out of 10. During the maximal load in the mouth breathing exercise, doing the same exact work, the perceived exertion was a 10 out of 10. Imagine, you know, running as fast as you can next to somebody else running as fast as they can, but your perception of exertion is a four out of 10 and theirs is a 10 out of 10. We also measured perceived comfort and the comfort level was significantly higher as well during nasal breathing versus mouth breathing exercise, which was very cool. Also measured breath rates. Breath rates were dramatically lower during nasal breathing exercise. In the case study, it was 48 breaths per minute during the mouth breathing exercise. <gasps> That's very, very fast. And only 14 breaths per minute during nasal breathing exercise. To give you a reference, the average person sitting in rest, sitting in your chair watching this video is 16 to 18 breaths per minute. So we were breathing, you know, riding a bike sub-maximally at 200 watts of resistance, pretty vigorous, breathing four breaths per minute slower than you are sitting in your chair right now. There's a level of efficiency that we're brewing here, which is quite phenomenal. We then measure what's called the respiratory sinus arrhythmia. It's a way of measuring heart rate variability which means that when the heart rate is locked in, boom, 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 the body's sort of stressed out. When the body's not stressed out, it goes boom, 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 
boom, there's a little variability in the rhythm of the heartbeat. It's called the sinus arrhythmia. And if it's really small, it's completely fine. It's a sign of chill and relaxation. And of course, it's a measurement of what's called heart rate variability. It measures your parasympathetic nervous system. During the nasal breathing exercise, the parasympathetic activation stayed higher. Normally in exercise, parasympathetic completely disappears and sympathetic fight or flight takes over. In our study, that didn't happen. Sympathetic actually went down and parasympathetic actually went up, indicating we created what's called the coexistence of opposites. My goal with the Body Mind Support book and this research years ago was to produce the runner's high, the zone, that ability to be completely locked in, that yoga union experience of complete mind-body coordination. That was the goal. And we actually showed, and I have the, 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 the research in this newsletter, you can read the results that we showed that we had the coexistence of the opposites, that uh, my best race is my easiest race experience. When, when Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mile, he said the, the world seemed to stand still or not even exist. It was that place of total peace and calm in the midst of dynamic activity. That was the goal, and we reproduced that. In addition, we measured with brainwave patterns during the exercise, and these were, this study was unprecedented. Normally, during exercise, the brain becomes very incoherent. And in our study showed that the brain waves became very coherent during exercise. In other words, all different parts of the brain were doing the same thing, as opposed to being very scattered. And that was another uh, piece of the study. And the most profound part um, was the alpha wave bursts that were produced during the exercise. In other words, during nasal breathing exercise, the brain would slip into major 15 second long alpha bursts the runner's high, the zone. What was kind of interesting, and you'll read about this in the study, and when I was doing the case study, I slipped into, and the whole goal of my book, Body, Mind, Sport, was to get into the zone, the runner's high. And I was, as I was doing the workout, I, was, I felt this total euphoria and this ease come about me. And I, and I signaled to the researchers that I, was, that I was in the zone. And during that moment, I went into a 15 second burst of alpha wave production. Normally, during exercise, up until this point during research, Alpha was never produced during vigorous exercise. It was produced after exercise, sometimes before exercise, but never actually during. This was an unprecedented finding. Only today are we beginning to see alpha bursts in athletes who are doing extreme things like base jumping off of Mount Everest or, or skyscrapers or, or doing really extreme things where their life is at risk. The brain goes into this super high coordinated state. And that's what they're looking at. The only way to get to the zone these days is to, is to risk your life. And we did research 20 years plus ago that showed that you don't have to kill yourself, risk your life to get to the zone. You can reproduce it by many of the ancient Ayurvedic techniques, one of which, and including many, yoga, breathing, meditation, but in this case, it was just simply breathing through your nose during exercise that produced significant alpha theta bursts during the exercise that were unprecedented. It was a powerful, powerful study. And, and, uh, and, I, and I'm very excited, as you can see, to share the research of the first two studies, which have never been, been uh, really available before until now. So if you're a, a nasal breathing geek and a, and a fan of the runner's high zone geek like me, you'll love reading this article and, uh, and reading the study itself. In the article associated with this video, I also summarize uh, all the research that's there. And the last piece that was interesting was the endurance levels were significantly improved in nasal breathing exercise 
versus mouth breathing. And now, and these studies pretty much stayed consistent through all three studies. So we have three studies to back that up. So now we have some really powerful and solid proof that there is value in a difference between nasal versus mouth breathing exercise. I truly invite you to read the article associated with this video and learn more about how to maybe enjoy exercise for the first time ever, how to get really powerful benefits of being composed and calm in exercise as a model for handling the stress in your life so you don't have to get stressed out in your life. Imagine being composed and calm. Imagine running as fast as you could in your brainwave producing the same brainwaves you would in a meditation, but you're running as fast as you could. That's what we're talking about. The ability to be completely composed and calm in the midst of stress in every aspect of your life, not just exercise. It's a powerful, powerful thing. And I invite you to learn more is a lot. Don't miss this article associated with this video where you actually can read all the research on the very first two studies. And if you wanna get a reprint of the final study, you can go to the International Journal of neuroscience to, to get that reprint. Thank you for listening. I'm Dr. John Duyard. Hi, my name is Dr. John Duyard, and I'd like to talk to you today about the relationship between exercise and balancing your blood sugar. The big question is how much exercise is actually good for us and how much more is harmful. And in the article associated with this DVD, I tell a story about when 1981, when I was training for an Ironman triathlon, I went to my first Ayurvedic lecture and I asked the doctor afterwards if exercising this much, exercising for a two and a half mile swim and a 112 mile bike ride and a 26 mile run was actually good for you according to this system. He looked at me and he said, why do you want to do such a thing? And I really didn't have an answer for him, but I said, well, I'm not really sure. I think because I think I maybe I, maybe I can do this thing. And he looked at me and he said, do you meditate? And I said, well, yes, I, I do meditate. And he says, do you sleep while you meditate? And I said, absolutely, I get the best sleep ever. And I love when I just fall asleep during meditation. He looked at me like I was kind of like ignorant and said, when you meditate, it's different than when you sleep. If you're sleeping during your meditation, you're exhausted, you're doing way too much, so stop exercising so hard. So I said, does that mean that if I exercise, uh, if I can meditate and not fall asleep, that means that uh, I'm not exercising too much and I'm not exhausted? And he said, yes you can do that. So I went off thinking if I could exercise less, meditate more, not fall asleep during my exercise, I could actually do all this exercise, kind of be invincible was my goal back then, without killing myself, without it being harmful to me in the long run. Well, fast forward 30 years from now, 30 years from then, I just finished my uh, first triathlon in 26 years with my three kids, my 20, my 18-year-old, my 14-year-old, and using the techniques that I learned back then, I was able to place first in my age group. Now, what I learned back then to exercise less was I shortened my workouts from an hour or hours to 15 minutes. I would do sprints as I would commute on my bicycle for 15 minutes. I would do 10, 15-minute runs real fast, burst and then rest and burst and then rest. And now, guess what? The research is in. It is compellingly evident 
learned that when we exercise, the harder we work and the longer we do it, get on a treadmill for 45 minutes and just exhaust your heart, actually has damaging effects to your heart. The research is clear. Please go to the, the article associated with this video and you'll see the references to that research. Long, slow, marathon running exercise actually is damaging. So be careful to know how much exercise is good and how much more is harmful. I did a whole video on nasal breathing exercise, which is an amazing monitor. So you know how much exercise is good for you and how much more is harmful. And there's a whole host of benefits that we did research on in my book, Body, Mind, and Sport, years ago to prove this science. However, the way we exercise, the idea currently in the newest research shows that when you do quick bursts of exercise and recover, magical things happen to you when you exercise. There's a training technique developed by a doctor named Irv Dardick who called it heart rate variability training. So if you are looking for your maximum heart rate, do you take 220 minus your age is your maximum heart rate. So I'm 53 years old, so my maximum heart rate is 220 minus my age, 53, which is 166 beats per minute. That's as high as my heart rate is allowed to go. When I was 20, I could go to 200 which means every year my ability for my heart rate to go up is getting less and less and less. That's an indicator of that we're, that we're aging. Now, the resting heart rate as we age goes up and up and up. So the high rate goes down and the low rate goes up and we start to basically disappear. I mean, and that's how we lose our youthfulness. So if you want to train to be youthful, train to get your heart rate up and then recover so it goes real slow. And this is actually very topical these days. People are writing about it in magazines that when you're exercising, you should be kind of like in the old days, hunter-gatherer days. We were hunting rabbits and we'd see a rabbit, we'd chase after it, and then it would jump in a hole and we would wait and rest and be perfectly still and it would pop out and we'd chase again and it would pop into a, into a little hole and we'd wait for it to come out and rest. And when we would do that kind of exercise training, the heart rate would go as high as it could go for a short burst and then it would go as low as it could go for the short burst. So we're actually training for what's called heart rate variability to get the heart rate to go up as high as it can go and as low as it can go. And that is what we want to train for. And so I'm teaching you in the video, in the article with this, I lay out a very easy 12-minute workout. 12 minutes of about a two-minute warm-up going really slow, a one-minute sprint, followed by a one-minute nasal breathing sprint and a nasal breathing recovery. Do four of those sprints with a two-minute rest, and you have a 12-minute workout that will boost cardiovascular efficiency like nothing else. It works phenomenal. It works for me as I play basketball once a week. It, you can do it three to four times a week. That's all you really need. And then supplement that with yoga, a hike, a bike ride, but get your heart rate variability training in and keep that ticker alive and well. Now, many of us have problems. You say, well, when I exercise, and I hear this all the time, I get pain, my muscles ache, I get injured, so I can't work out. Well, as we are sedentary, the muscles get tight. They lose their blood supply. Without blood supply, the muscles lay down this fibrous tissue which sticks the muscles together. So then when you go out and exercise and use them, they tear and they rip and they inflame and they cause all kinds of problems. We take Advil and, and NSAIDs and all these 
kind of things to get rid of the pain. But there is an herb called, an Ayurvedic herb, which is phenomenal. It's called Baswela, which, Baswelia, which actually increases the blood supply into the muscle, into the joints. It actually breaks down the scar tissue uh, in the muscle and allows the muscles to slide more effectively, increases blood supply into the muscle and joint, so you can actually restore the, the pain-free status, deal with the reason you got painful in the first place, and therefore wean off the product. And I love that about our life spot products is that the idea is to get on them, get better, and get off of them so we're not deficient in any uh, particular product or pill or powder. The idea is to use the Busuela, take two, three times a day or three twice a day for six weeks and, and establish the elasticity in your joints, increase your exercise, be do your cardiovascular heart rate variability training that I just laid out for you, start doing that, gradually build up and wean yourself off the pain-free and off you go into a pain-free way of beginning to restore exercise and cardiovascular status once again. My name is Dr. John Duyard. Thanks for listening. Hi, my name is Dr. John Duyard, and I want to talk to you today about how to be blissed out when you work out. You know, in my book, Body Minus Four, we did research comparing the difference between breathing through your nose and breathing through your mouth when you exercise. And what we found was amazing. We found that when you breathe through your nose, it actually changes your brain chemistry. We found that when you breathe through your nose, it actually creates a brainwave alpha state, a composure and calm, a meditative state that we now know is actually the same state that athletes have when they're in the runner's high, the zone, when they say, my best race is my easiest race. When Roger Bannister broke the four minute mile, he said, I felt like I was going slow. I felt as if the world was standing still, yet he was running faster than any man alive. This kind of euphoric state isn't so difficult to reproduce. And when you breathe, you create a chemistry that allows you to rejuvenate and repair and be composed and calm under stress versus being stressed out. So I wrote an article detailing every aspect, every benefit of nasal breathing. A lot of it's taken from the research we did in my Body Mind Sport book, but that was 20 years ago I wrote that book. So there's lots of really new insights uh, from the scientific perspective that we've gleaned over the years that I've written about in this article. So I encourage you to, to take a look at that. A couple of highlights. One, we know that when you breathe through the nose, the nose has turbines, little turbinates that engineer the air all the way down into the lower lobes of your lungs where the calm air, where the calm nerves are. We have, a, we have these baroreceptors in the lungs that are predominantly parasympathetic or rejuvenative in the lower lobes of your lungs. If you saw a bear in the woods, chances are you wouldn't go like this. Chances are you go take an upper chest gasping breath and you got it. The stress receptors are in the upper chest and they're really activated by a gasp. And that's exactly what we do when we get stressed out. So if you want to be blissed out when you exercise, why don't we create blissed out brain waves by actually breathing through our nose, activating this calm response that flips the brain into an alpha state. It's a little bit more difficult to breathe through the nose, so most people find themselves suffocating, so that's why they don't do it. But usually within a couple of weeks, you find that you learn how to do this, and I write about how to accomplish that. So it is something, a skill that we have to relearn. As infants, scientists tell us that we're 
we're preferred or obligate nose breathers that, that humans are generally nasal breathing um, species and we are designed to breathe through our nose and eat and talk through our mouth. Well, we don't do a lot of that anymore. And as a result of breathing <laughs> upper chest, the rib cage becomes tighter and tighter and tighter and cage-like. And we have this rib cage that becomes tight. And we start breathing like little rabbits, 26,000 little upper chest emergency breaths per day, telling you that your life is an emergency, telling you that we need to you know, store fat and crave sugar and create an abundance of adrenaline, stress-fighting hormones, which we know are degenerative and toxic, and overwhelm our system with stress simply because you're breathing 26,000 times a day in the upper chest, and that's how we have to breathe 26,000 times. So why not breathe into the lower lobes of your lungs where you have 80%, 60 to 80% of your blood calming nerve receptors and activate a neurological calm by breathing deeply through your nose. And why not use exercise as a model for stress? Exercise is a stress. Why not learn how to breathe deeply while you're exercising to tell your body that when I'm under stress, I can breathe into those lower lobes of the lungs. When you breathe, I also talk about using a breath called the Ujjayi breath or an ocean breath, a yoga breathing technique to force the abdominal muscles to contract. It's, it sounds like this. And if you do that breath, you'll notice that your abdominal muscles naturally contract. And when that contracts, and you do this only during the exhalation, when you do it, you contract your abdominal muscles, it forces a what's called abdominal diaphragmatic cardiac massage. And there's a nerve on your heart called the vagus nerve, which when it gets contracted by this abdominal diaphragmatic massage, it triggers the alpha state in your brain and all of a sudden you're calm under stress. I call it the eye of the hurricane effect. The bigger the calm, the more powerful the winds. We can reproduce that by relearning how to breathe correctly versus breathing like a, a rabbit under stress, learning to breathe more deeply. The rib cage over time becomes a cage squeezing on your heart and your lungs. It should be 12 levers massaging your heart and lungs fully, moving lymphatic fluid in and out of your rib cage back to your heart to support circulation. It actually pumps lymph from the lower abdomen back to the heart to get the waste out of your abdominal, your, your abdominal cage where your digestive strength is so you can get it out of your legs and your cellulite and lower abdominal reproductive system better. It's all about lymphatic drainage and the big time pump is not only muscular contraction but rib movement and breathing. Your breathing turns out to be one of the most powerful detoxifying devices. When you breathe you get rid of waste and you do it 26,000 times per day but if you only breathe you're not accessing 80 percent up to 80 percent of the blood supply in the lower lobes of the lungs where you can exchange the waste better so we become an inefficient detoxifying breathing machine. You follow me? So these are all like so logical biomechanical things that happen and when we measured this we asked the athletes when they did the study before and after before after exercise with mouth and nose breathing when they were exercising with their mouth, we asked them on a scale of one to 10 how they felt. They were all maxed out at a 10, they felt terrible. The same kids came back the next day, did the exact same workout, and their perception of the same workout was a four out of 10. So that tells me that you could be living your life, exercising, straining at a 10 out of 10, maxing out, feeling exhausted, producing 
It's crazy frenetic brain waves, stress fighting hormones that, that are degenerative and make you store fat. Or you could be doing the same workout, feeling out of four out of 10, feeling like it's effortless and easy and enjoying the process. So to become a blissful exercise or have a blissed out workout, think about learning how to be a really good nose breather. It takes a little time, a little practice, but I give you lots of tips in this article about how to do that and how to maximize your respiratory capacity because the benefits are way beyond blissful exercise. There are really so many benefits regarding the optimal health, uh, cardiovascular health, digestive health, and, and our over health, overall health and well-being. Thank you for listening. I'm Dr. John Beer. Hi, my name is Dr. John Duyard, and I want to talk to you today about two incredible therapies for sinus problems like sinus congestion, sinusitis, sinus headaches, allergies, earaches, sore throat, swollen glands. Many of the upper respiratory problems that we have are caused by irritated nasal sinus mucous membranes. We often use antihistamines to dry out the mucus, but they also dry out the mucous membranes, irritating the mucous membranes, making them produce more reactive mucus, making the problem worse and even chronic. Traditionally, there was a technique called neti, using a neti pot like this, where you fill it with a, a mild saline solution and you irrigate the sinuses and clean the sinuses out. That's step one. First, clean your sinuses. Step two, which is, which is relatively unknown, is a technique called nausea. And nausea is using herbalized oils moisturizing herbs in a base oil and you drop that into your sinuses and you sniff that oil into your sinuses and you lubricate the mucous membranes. First you irrigate, clean, and then you lubricate. If you went to the beach and you put salt water on your skin, your skin would dry out. If you put salt water into your sinuses, the mucous membranes will actually dry out and they will may produce more reactive mucus. So the therapy wasn't complete until you finished the job with the nausea, with the lubrication component. Now, neti on its own has been studied as an incredible therapy for your sinuses. It stops nasal secretions. It actually outperformed the nasal sprays for, for, for sinusitis. It actually even reduced the need for medications for sinus, sinus problems as well. So it's a very effective therapy. It stands alone. It works great. But with the addition of the nausea, it works that much better. So these two in combination are incredibly effective. Now when you do the, the neti pot, what you do is you use body temperature water, about a cup of water with about a quarter teaspoon of purified uh, salt with no iodine in it, and you stir that and make a solution. Then you tip your head and you take this pot and put it in the upper nostril and you pour it into your sinuses and the water will go up the upper nostril and out the lower nostril. Keep your mouth open and breathe. I give detailed instructions on how to do that in the article associated with this video. Also cite all the references and the research that's done on these techniques. Very, very incredible. But you do that and, and you use the whole pot in one nostril, then you swing it around and and do the other nostril and you complete the cycle. Sometimes it takes about two or three pots per nostril to actually open up the sinuses and clear out the sinuses and get rid of the congestion. After you do that, then you're ready for the, for the net, for the nausea. The nausea is using an herbalized oil. It is very important that it, we use an herbalized oil. Most
most vegetable oils, the molecule is too large to actually moisturize and penetrate the phospholipid layer in our skin or in our nasal mucosa. So the oil just sits on the surface. But when you actually use herbs and cook the oil and use moisturizing herbs, the oil becomes rarefied and the herbs are, are now carried to and through the skin by the oil and have a very deep moisturizing effect. So you want to get a good quality nausea oil with herbs cooked into it. And you take the oil and then you warm it under a, a faucet till it's just about above body temperature. Check that on your skin and make sure it doesn't burn or skin. Make sure it's just the right temperature. And once you have the oil in the, in the dropper, you take a big breath in and exhale all the way out. Tip your head back as far as you can go and drop two drops into both nostrils and then sniff deeply into both, both into your sinuses and then usually you do that once or twice and you'll feel the oil drip into the back of your mouth and you can spit that out and then the process is complete. First, ear gate, clean out. That has incredible effects on the sinuses and the congestion on its own but then finish the job with lubrication and healing the nasal mucosa with an herbalized nausea oil. Please check out the article associated with this video for more details. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. John Duyard. Hi, my name is Dr. John Duyard and I want to talk to you today about the benefits of slow yoga. The idea that yoga could be held for a very long period of time that long holes have a different effect on the body. And from the Ayurvedic perspective, they have a very powerful, subtle effect on the body. Now, how it works from the Ayurvedic perspective is that yogis, gurus, teachers, would teach individual students very specific yoga postures that they would hold as meditations for a long period of time to help redirect subtle energy into appropriate subtle pathways called nadis that would facilitate a spiritual experience. Then yoga and breathing and meditation were the tools to help support a spiritual journey along a very uh, a pathway without obstacles, a life without emotional stress and strain. So you have a more direct pathway to being fulfilled in your life. That's what yoga was traditionally about. It was very specific postures to move very specific subtle energy in a very specific way for a very specific effect for that individual. Now, so when you do yoga very fast, uh, not very fast, for 30 second holds or, or in vinyasa, not that that's bad, it has incredible value for many things. But there is also value for doing slow yoga, restorative yoga, taking time in each posture, meditative yoga. And that's something that I want to share with you, that there's the concept that in addition to your regular yoga practice, maybe at home, you can get into some of your favorite poses and stay there for two or three or four minutes and get into a meditative state in those postures, breathe into those postures. In Ayurveda, there are, there are there's subtle energy called the Kundalini Shakti, and that energy is carried from the base of your spine to the top of the head to fulfill a spiritual experience. There are only six nadi systems, that nadi pathways, that carry that spiritual energy. And not all of them are wonderful. Some of them are, are, are scenic routes, and they, 
they take us through a lot of emotional drama or trauma in our lives. And some of them are more direct. And of course, the more balanced you are in your life, the easier it is to move into a more fulfilling, naughty spiritual pathway. And the more out of whack your life is, the more difficult it is to get into those pathways. So yoga and breathing and meditation were designed to redirect that energy into an appropriate naughty so you can experience a more fulfilling you know, spiritual and emotional life. And that's what it was originally designed for. So take some time in your yoga practice. In addition, from a, from a physiological point of view, muscles have, are attached to joints or to bones. And when you do a quick, short, 30-second, one-minute hold of a yoga posture, you generally pull on the attachment. But when you stay in the posture in a gentle fashion for a longer period of time, the belly of the muscle where all the blood is begins to relax. And when the belly relaxes, you, the muscle in, uh, over a period of time feels safe enough to open and sort of put links in the chain of the muscle and create a more permanent elasticity. So even from the perspective of gaining more flexibility and elasticity, getting into a posture and staying there for a period of time, two or three minutes, allows the muscle to relax. It allows the subtle energy to move through the body. A long hold allows the prana, the energy, life force, to pound away at the density of the physical body. So the longer the hold, the more prana can move into the density of the musculoskeletal system and therefore activate the very subtle energies, the very subtle nadis in the body. And those nadis concentrate in the chakra system and the chakra system changes the mind, creates more awareness and wakefulness in the mind. And that's what the breathing does. The breathing helps force and drive the prana into the subtle aspects of the body. And the meditation then takes all that prana, that life force, and allows us to become more self-aware with that silence, which was created by the yoga moving light energy into the density of the physical body, and then having that energy be driven by the breath, by the breathing, the pranayama practice, and then having the heightened experience of self-awareness through the meditation practice. But it all starts with spending time in a yoga position, a yoga posture, long enough to allow the prana to pound away at the density of the body. And sometimes when you do yoga, you sometimes can feel the vibration in your body afterwards. And that is exactly the prana sort of pounding away at the physical body and the movement of your pranic energy, your subtle energy system is enlivened. So take some time in addition to your regular yoga, take some time to do some long holds, followed by breathing, followed by meditation. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. John Biard. This recording is brought to you by Life Spa, where ancient Ayurvedic wisdom meets modern science. Get access to free health video newsletters by Dr. John at lifespa.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.